Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 20. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 20. Making a small little joke. I said this morning 29 and someone told me about it after the fact. If you're in the Gospel record of Luke in chapter 29, I want to check your Bible. Good. Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 20, if you wouldn't mind. And as we're continuing, Jesus Christ has been going through his earthly ministry and has now made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He made his entry in Saturday or Sunday of March 26th. And now we fast forward to the gospel record of Luke in chapter 20, and we find ourselves now on Tuesday. Now, the other gospel records fill in some of the events that happen on that Monday. Uh, the gospel record of Luke chooses not to. <laughs> but we find more events of an important parable that Jesus said to tell to the people, to instruct them, and this is going to happen on Tuesday, March 28th of AD 30. And we find ourselves in the Gospel record of Luke chapter 20. And notice with me in verse number 1. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 20 in verse 1. And it came to pass that on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priest and the scribes came upon him with the elders, and spake unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority dost thou these things? Or who is he that gave thee this authority? And he answered and said unto them, I will tell you one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, then why then believed ye him not? But, and if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet. And they answered, and they could, they answered that they could not tell whence it was. And Jesus said unto them, Neither tell I by you by what authority I do these things. Verse number nine. Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and let it forth to a husbandman and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season, he sent a servant to the husbandman that they should give him the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandman beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent another servant and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And again, he sent a third and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, what shall I do? 
I will send my beloved son, that it may be that they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written, The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priest and the scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him, and they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. And they watched him. And sent forth spies. When should feign themselves just men, that they may take a hold of his words, so that they might deliver him unto the power and the authority of the governor. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke in chapter 20? The gospel record of Luke chapter 20, and notice with me in verse number 13. The gospel record of Luke chapter 20 and verse 13. Notice this, I will send my beloved son. I will send my beloved son. And this is often called, this parable here is called the parable of the wicked husbandmen. The parable of the wicked husbandmen. I will send my beloved son. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for us to be able to open up your word, to examine your word, to learn more about this. Help us to understand this parable. Help us to understand how it relates to the Pharisees. And help us to understand what our role is in today and what you had given us to do. Thank you again for you giving us your word. Fill me with your spirit. Guide and direct. Let it be clear. Let it open up in a special way. And let us be already prepared and attentive and seeking to obey what you've given us through your word. We love you. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. As we ended up the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 19, we end up with Jesus Christ going to the temple. He chased out all of the people who were money changers and all the criminals and all the people trying to make it a den of thieves. And in chapter 19 and verse 47, it says, And he taught daily in the temple. So Jesus Christ throughout this last week is going to show up at the temple and he's going to teach faithfully. But he's got visitors there. But the chief priest and the scribes and the chief people sought to destroy him. So they showed up too and they're planning. What can we do to destroy him? We've got to do something with it. They're starting to get desperate. They're getting a fervor. They're trying to see. They're watching as all the people are singing Hosanna. They're watching the people praise God. They're watching him say that he's the king. And then they show as he shows up and teaches. Notice with verse 48. And could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. So it's not like their people are coming as a spectacle. When Jesus Christ is teaching in the temple, they're all coming to hear him with the idea that they want to obey. They want to listen. It's not a curiosity piece. They're showing up on uh, purpose with the idea of getting instructions from him. And so this is what Dr. Luke is. It's train, uh, train, uh, 
excuse me, tracing this line of thought, tracing this pattern of what brought Jesus to the cross. Remember, it's the gospel record of Luke is placing an emphasis on Jesus' humanity, that he is the perfect human. And so what it's doing is showing that Jesus Christ is doing nothing wrong. He's teaching in the temple, the people are listening. And because he's doing righteously, the Pharisees are jealous of him. So in chapter 20, it's continuing on as Jesus Christ shows up on the Tuesday. He's been teaching Monday, he shows up on Tuesday. On the Tuesday, the people are attentive and they're listening. And the Pharisees attempt to hide hijack Jesus' teaching and try to discredit him. Notice the first thing as we get to the gospel record of Luke chapter 20. We see the Lord's authority. The Lord's authority. So notice with me as we have the context and the end of verse 19, Jesus is teaching daily in the temple. The people are attentive. But here are the Pharisees. They're looking for something. They're trying to find some way. They can't stand that Jesus has a crowd. And a crowd that's a very attentive to Jesus' teaching. They feel very threatened. So they've got to come up with a plan. So of course they're going to challenge Jesus' authority. Notice with me in verse 1. And it came to pass that on one of those days, which we know a couple days later from Luke chapter 19, as he, Jesus, taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priest and the scribes came upon him with the elders. So here they come with a great crowd of people. They got scribes, they got the chief priest, they've got leaders of the people. They've all gathered together to try to talk to Jesus. Who has given you this authority? Verse 2. And spake unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority dost thou these things? Or who is he that gave thee this authority. Now again, this is a big deal. The Jewish people have now built up a hierarchy of the structure. They have the Pharisees who are the keepers of the law. They're the ones who study the law. The scribes who are responsible for actually copying it. You have the, the Levites and the people who work in the temple who are actually authorized people to do the sacrifices, to perform the things in the temple. And so they come up him and say, what authority you do this? You haven't gone to our schools. You haven't followed our rules. You're not part of our hierarchy. Who gave you the authority to do this? Why are you teaching in the temple? Who gave you permission to do this? And again, they're challenging Jesus' authority. Not realizing that this is God. But notice how Jesus deals with them. Verse number 3. And he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? So as they come up and question Jesus about his authority, he decides he's going to throw a question at them. Now, this isn't disrespectful or dodging. This is actually common practice by the Jewish teachers of the day. That if you asked a question, you were usually answered by two questions back. And so Jesus naturally asked a question back to them. So what authority do you do this? All right, I'll answer you. But first of all, you tell me something. Was John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it of men. He was asking, what authority did John baptize? John didn't go to your schools. John wasn't part of your hierarchy. John wasn't hired by any of you. He didn't follow your rules. What about John? Before I answer about me, what about John? John was an enigma too. What authority did John do this? Was it sent from God? Did God authorize John or did he just do it of himself and say, you know what, I'm going to start preaching in the Jordan River. 
So now they have a problem. And their problem isn't what they want to answer. The problem is, is their perspective, perception of everybody else of how they answer. Verse 5, and they reason within themselves saying, if we say from heaven... He will say, why then believed him ye not? Now, remember, the Pharisees also had issues with John the Baptist. And so if he says, you know what? John came from the authority of heaven. Then Jesus is going to turn around and say, well, then why didn't you obey them? Now, notice there's an admission here. They knew they didn't obey John. They knew that they didn't obey what John had said. That was an admission here. Why didn't you obey him? And they also knew that everyone knew, including Jesus, that they did not obey John. They were very vocal and very public about their opposition to John. So they can't say from heaven, because if he came from heaven, then they should have been obeying. But, verse 6, but, and if, that's a nice statement, but, and if, we say of men, the people will stone us, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet. So here's a problem. Either we got to excuse why we didn't obey, or we risk ticking off everyone and they stone us because they recognize John was a prophet. And John was the last of the prophets. He was a very important piece. And the people all had recognized by this time, John was a prophet sent by God. So now we have a problem. Either we admit that we're wrong and we disobeyed God, or we say that John was a man and then everybody's mad at us and they won't listen to us. We'll lose the crowd that we're trying to gain. Now they're stuck. And so what do they choose? Verse number seven, and they answered that they cannot tell whence it was. We don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And so Jesus says, Verse 8, and Jesus said to them, neither tell I by what authority I do these things. Now, what they were trying to do is trying to counteract Jesus. And if he said, what authority you came? If he said, I came from God, then they would try to do a full court press. Now, the people would accept it, but the Pharisees would not. Remember, they're looking for some reason to discredit Jesus. And because they're not going to listen to Jesus' answer anyways, Jesus didn't answer them. He turned it around to them and said, all right, fine. What about John? He's following the same track as I did, or I followed the same track as John. We didn't go to your schools. We didn't listen to your cemeteries. We didn't go to your classes. We're not part of your hierarchy. What authority did John do it on? So when they can't answer anything and Jesus says, listen, then I'm not going to tell you what authority I have. Jesus then turns to the crowd and begins to teach the crowd about the Pharisees. And this is going to be very hard preaching that he has towards the Pharisees. Notice the second thing that we have here is that we notice here the Lord's vineyard. The Lord's vineyard. Verse number 9. Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen and went into a far country for a long time. Now this parable is speaking about God and the relationship with the people on earth, especially the Hebrew people. That God planted a vineyard and he put a hedge about it. 
God had dug a place for the vine to be processed. And we saw many pictures where Jesus is talking about this. In the book of Isaiah, Jesus had talked about this earlier. God had dug a place and put the vine. He had built a tower of protection. He had done everything he could. Remember that we had covered that. That God said, what else could I have done? What else could have I done? I've done everything I could. God had prepared a vineyard. He'd prepared the world. Put a people there to keep it, to dress it, to take care of it. And God had given the Hebrew people at this time the privilege of tending the vineyard, the world, and to work on it and to try to get the, the, the fruits of it to be blessing to the Lord, to honor God, to follow after God. That was their responsibility. So we could see the Lord's vineyard, which brings us to the Lord's servants. The Lord's servants. Notice with me in verse 10. And at the season, he, the, um, the certain man, sent a servant to the husbandmen, that they should give him the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. Now we're going through the history of Israel. So God had told the Hebrew people, you're in charge of the world. You're in charge. You're supposed to bring the rest of the world, the Gentiles, and appoint them to me. That's your responsibility to live and, and to, to garner this. And so now when it's time, God sends a prophet. Maybe it's Isaiah. Maybe it's Jeremiah. Maybe it's Ezekiel. Just take your pick of any Old Testament prophet. And the Old Testament prophet goes and proclaims what God said. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. And then you know what happens? The people reject the prophet's message. And remember, the prophet is not speaking of himself. He is sent by the master to go into the vineyard, to give the instructions, to say, your master now wants to give an account. He deserves his part of the labor for his field. He deserves to see the fruit of his labor. Where is the fruit? And when the servant comes and says, I'm coming on behalf of the master, where's the fruit? The people take that prophet and they mistreat him. They abuse him. They kill him. They ostracize him. Over and over, take an Old Testament prophet. None of them had a luxurious life. None of them had a wonderful life with a home and a kids and happiness and happy ever after. All of them suffered turmoil during that time of the Hebrew people. And so they sent him away empty. So you take some of the early prophets. You take an Elijah. An Elijah who came. And he tried to preach. And what happened is that you had uh, his face on a milk cart. And said if you find this guy bring him dead or alive. That he was on the death watch. Why Ahab and Jezebel were killing all the other preachers. I uh, Elijah's hiding out. Finally, they have the big God off at Mount Carmel. And when he was done, 450 prophets of Baal had died. And then Jezebel called for Elijah's life and he ran for his life. All the time he was having problems. His replacement, Elisha, same thing. Issues, problems. You go through each of the prophets and they go back empty. They do their service. They come and say, this is what the master said. He wants to see the fruit. You're not taking care of his vineyard. What's the problem? What needs to happen? What needs to be fixed? What do you need? And they send him away empty and said, we don't care what the master says. Leave us alone. 
So they sent another one, verse 11. And again, he sent another servant. And they beat him also and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And so as you study through the history of Israel, what happens you watch each of the prophets getting more and more abused. The more that they try to serve God, the more that they try to be uh, faithful to God, they become more and more abused where they're finally beating him. Think about Jeremiah who was actually thrown in jail for telling them what the Bible said. And not just jail, he's thrown into a muck and a mire where he can't sleep because the muck of the mire is up to his chest. He can't lay down, he'll drown. This is where he has to wallow in. And the only way to get him out is they have to send a rope and he kind of sits on it and they pull him back up because he's stuck in the mud. That's his prison cell. What's his crime? Preaching the Bible. More and more abused and mistreated are God's prophets as the time goes on. Finally, notice as it goes on, verse 12. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Now they get to the place where they're actually just killing prophets. They're beating them up. You take an Isaiah, who godly Isaiah, who was a, a prophet preaching to king after king after king after king, who is 70 years old, 90 years old. When Manasseh had enough of him, put king uh, put Isaiah and put him in a hollowed out log and actually sawed him asunder because he preached the Bible. That was his crime. And you start watching as these prophets are being abused and they're being beaten, they're being mishandled and even killed. So as it's taken from God's perspective, God is saying, I'm sending prophet after prophet, I'm sending messenger. They go with my authority. Remember this whole idea is whose authority is this? Each of these prophets are going with God's authority. And as they go with God's authority, you take a John the Baptist who came with God's authority. That's the immediate context. John the Baptist. And what did they do to John the Baptist? They beheaded him. They mistreated him. They abused him. And as it's taking God's perspective, trying to give us an understanding, God says, what can I do? I've sent prophet, I've sent prophet, I've sent prophet, and they don't obey the messenger. They know it comes from my authority, but they don't care about what authority. They just don't like the message, so they try to get rid of the messenger. So I know what I'll do. Notice, we don't, if you don't mind, the next thing, the Lord's son. The Lord's son, verse 13. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be that they will reverence him when they see him. Now, let's take this. The Hebrew people at this time were the most monotheistic people in existence at this time. There was no Islam. There was no Christianity yet. They were the only <laughs> they were the major monotheistic people at that time. And the most fervent monotheistic people at the time. They believed that there was one God. And that they were supposed to worship that God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul. But they've rejected all of God's messengers. And so since these people claim to reverence God, God said, you know what? I'll send my son. He's not a servant. He's my son. And he's not just has my authority. He is me. He has everything. He's my heir. He inherits everything. He's the one I gave it to. I'll send my son. And they will reverence him because he is my son. Verse 14. But 
When the husbandmen saw him, the son, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance may be ours. So here's their idea. If we could get rid of the son, all of this property will be ours. And this is exactly where the Pharisees are at now. We don't want God's authority on us. If we get rid of God's son, then guess what? We, God's chosen people, we are the ones who get everything. God will give it to us. Now that's not sound reasoning. It's not healthy reasoning, but that's their idea. And that's what the Pharisees are exactly doing right now as they're talking to Jesus. They're trying to find ways to kill him with the idea that we don't want his authority. All of this is a matter of authority. Whose authority is coming? Jesus is pretty much saying they don't care what authority is being sent by. They just don't want to obey what God's given to them. So they've rejected it. And so we see the next thing, the Lord's destroying, the Lord's destroying. Verse 16, he shall come, the son, or sorry, verse 15. And so they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do to him? Now that's a valid question. If someone kills God's kid, God's son, How would you expect God to react? Would you expect God to say, oh man, I'm sorry. Okay, you guys win. I mean, what do they expect God to do? They expect God to say, I'm going to let you win. I just, I can't compete with this. No, God has all the authority. What is he going to do? Verse 16, he shall come and destroy these husbandmen and give the vineyard to others. By the way, because the Hebrew people rejected God, he's going to turn over for a time to the Gentiles, the church. He's going to give them the responsibility of reaching the world because the Hebrew people had rejected God's authority. And by the way, there was great destruction upon the Hebrew people for many, many years. Even up to today, we could see a persecution upon the Hebrew people. And again, part of that is because they rejected God's son so much that they killed him because they didn't want God's authority over them. This is all dealing with authority. Verse 16, and he shall come and destroy the husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they, the Pharisees, heard it, or heard it, they said, God forbid. <laughs> what do you mean? God, they're understanding that Jesus is saying something about them and they're shocked. In fact, they're shocked with the idea that God would give the, the vineyard to non-Hebrew people and allow Gentiles to do it. To the Hebrew people, we're the inheritors of the world. God did this for us. How, what do you mean God will give it, take it away from us? It had never crossed their mind that them being God's people could actually lose what God is trying to give them at this time. They're losing out on the kingdom. They're losing out on all these benefits. They're losing out on the responsibilities and the blessings God wanted to give to them. They gave them up because they didn't want God's authority. And they lost so much. The Pharisees had never crossed their mind that when they crucified Jesus... That they were destroying their entire nation. They were hoping to preserve it. Their idea was that God was going to come. And make their brand of Judaism spread across the world. And the Pharisees were going to be the number one top dogs in that kingdom. They didn't realize that their actions is actually going to destroy all of that. 
But it was an authority problem. Verse 17. And when he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same became the head of the corner. This is Psalm 118 in verse 20. And then verse 18, Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. That's in Isaiah chapter 8. So here it speaks about Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ who is rejected is actually going to be the corner piece of the kingdom. They may try to reject Jesus Christ, but he is still going to be the king of the kingdom. He's the one that's going to set it up. He's the one that's going to rule and reign. Not the Pharisees. In all reality, the Pharisees should be recognizing Jesus is their king and follow under his authority. But they don't want his authority over them. So they reject him. And the person that they rejected is going to be the the setting stone, the most important stone, the foundational stone for the kingdom that's going to be built. Verse 18, whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. This is the idea. You want to reject my authority? You think you could kill me? That's fine. But guess what? You are going to be utterly destroyed because of your actions. Man, that's a big warning. That's like a stop sign and someone waving. There's a cliff overhead. Don't go. Don't go. So how do they respond to this? Do they see the sign and say, well, maybe we should stop? Do they hear this and say, you know, maybe we shouldn't go this far? Verse 19, and the chief priest and the scribes, the same hour. That's their decided. They decided they're done. That same hour sought to lay hands on him. Now it is on purpose actively. All the way up to this time, they were content just to stop Jesus. And just discredit him. He could live. But now they have made a decision. Right here and now. We're going to kill him. This was the line. This was the final straw. This is that line in the sand. That they just crossed. We're going to kill him. And they feared the people. For they perceived that they had, he had spoken this parable against him. So they recognized. They had at least enough discernment. We can't take him right now. The people recognize that they spoke against us and they're going to see us as reacting to a story. We can't do that. But now they come up with their own plan. Subtlety. Verse 20. And they watched him and sent forth spies which should feign themselves just men. So they purposely put people inside of Jesus's Uh, crowd that say, I'm a believer. I've trusted Jesus as my savior. I'm saved. I'm born again. Oh, Jesus, what can I do for you? What can I, can I help? Can I serve? Can I do something? And their job was to get as close to Jesus as they possibly could with the idea that maybe he says something in public, but maybe he says something in private. Maybe when he gets his disciples all together and he says something in secret, you take down notes, you listen. Let's find something that we can arrest him for. In fact, notice this. And they watched him and set forth spies that should feign themselves just men, that they might take a hold of his words, that they may deliver him unto the power and the authority of the governor. Now notice this. They're no longer looking to get the power and authority of themselves. The Hebrew people did not have the authority at this time to put someone to death. And they knew that. Now they're looking for some way that they could bring Jesus to the authority of Rome who had that authority. 
You see, they understand they want to kill Jesus. And now they got to find some way. It can't be an accident. It's got to be somewhere, way that they can convince the Roman government that Jesus is worthy of death. They start to formulate this plan. And by the way, in the next couple days, it's going to be fulfilled. In the next couple days, they're going to find that ammunition. And they're going to be preparing for this. So these people rejected Jesus Christ. They had rejected God's authority. We know that the, the idea was the Hebrew people were supposed to be tending that vineyard. And they were supposed to be working in that vineyard with the idea that the fruits were supposed to go up to God. We know that the fruits of a righteous man is souls. That he that winneth souls is wise. That we are supposed to be leading people to the Lord. Jesus died for them. He worked for them. He's done everything possible. All we have to do is bring them to Jesus. Jesus has done the work. He deserves to have the fruit for it. He deserves to have it. The people, the Hebrew people rejected his authority. Listen, we don't want Jesus telling us what to do. We've got our own plans. We've got our own thing to do. Listen, I don't care what authority the preacher may have. I don't care what authority the prophet has. We're not going to obey. It's because we don't want to do this. Now we know that the Hebrew people rejected Christ. And because of that they suffered a horrible, horrible destruction with Jerusalem being destroyed in 70 AD. And shortly after the massacre at Masada. And that the Hebrew people are going to be scattered and they're going to suffer persecution after persecution after persecution. And that was part of the judgment. They rejected Christ as authority. Now we have us, those who have accepted Jesus as our Savior. It is our time to be tending the vineyard, to be working. But then we also have a problem, an idea. What authority are we going to obey God? Are we going to listen to God? Are we going to allow Him to tell us what to do? Do we allow him to make the rules? Or do we pick and choose? I like that rule. I'll do that one. Nah, that one's not for me. You see, we have an idea. What authority does Jesus come? What authority does the preacher come? What authority does the Bible have? What is that authority? It all comes down. What authority rules over you? What authority are you going to allow to dictate you? All right. We know that the preacher, there's nothing special about the preacher. He's a sinner saved by grace. The only thing different is that God has set him there for the idea of proclaiming the truth to God. There's nothing special about me, but it's everything about the authority that God sent us. What does the Bible have to say? And as long as the Bible's being proclaimed, that's the authority we obey. Now we say this because we all have an authority problem from time to time. We all have a thing where I don't want to listen. I don't want to obey. It's something I don't want to have. It's not what I want to do. It's not my plans. It's not my timing. But it all comes down to authority. What authority? Every prophet that came down in the Old Testament time came not with their own authority. They came with God's authority. They were representative of God. When John the Baptist came, he came with the authority of God. When Jesus came, he came with the idea that he was the beloved son of God. But he also came with God's authority. You know, it is a very frightening thing to reject God's authority. This is the God of the universe. And people shake their fists and say, I won't have you tell me what to do, God. 
Do you know how ludicrous that is when God is the creator of the universe? That he has time in the palm of his hand and this little pipsqueak voice saying, I won't obey you. We are so small and we're so tiny. By the way, why would someone reject God's authority? I'm glad you asked. Turn me one last passage. Turn with me to the book of 2 Peter chapter number 3. You know, we think about it logically. There's no way we should disobey God's authority. It's not logical. But why would someone reject God's authority? Why would they put that authority off? Well, the Bible gives the reason in the book of 2 Peter. The book of 2 Peter in chapter number 3, God very clearly tells why anybody disobeys authority. Do you know that there's no reason to reject the Bible? There's no archaeological, historical, scientific reason to discredit the Bible. Then why do people refuse to listen to the Bible? Why do they find all these ways to try to say the Bible's not true? You know, God is a loving God. He's not a mean God. The Bible says that his commandments aren't grievous. Well, if his commandments aren't grievous, they're not a burden to us. Why do we have such a hard time obeying his Bible? Why do we have such a hard time obeying his rules? You know, his rules are simple. God says to do everything in simplicity and godly sincerity. They're simple. They're not hard. Why do we have a hard time obeying it? Now, we're speaking to all of us. Because we all have an authority problem from time to time. We all have a thing where we don't like the message and we try to find some way to say this isn't for me. What is the root cause? What is the thing that causes it where we could illogically reject a reasonable request? Why would we reject God's authority? God tells us the answer in verse number uh, chapter 3 and verse number 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Knowing this first. So this is important. God's saying this is important here. That there shall come in the last days scoffers. Now this may surprise you. You may have to hold in a gasp. But do you know that there are scoffers out there? Do you know there are people who deny the Bible and don't want to listen to God's authority and they find some way to reject it? Why? Why? Verse number three. Knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. There is no logical reason to reject the Bible. The only reason why people reject the Bible is because it interferes with what they want to do. You know, that's the reason our motive for anything is because we want to do it or we don't want to do it. And if it doesn't, if we don't want to do it, we will find everything we can to reject God's word. We're not going to turn there, but may I just tell you the story? You guys are listening patiently, so I want to tell stories. In 1 Kings chapter 13, don't turn there, but just for your own reference. There's an account where the kingdom has now been divided between the southern kingdom of Rehoboam and the northern kingdom of Jeroboam. And so God wanted to try to correct Jeroboam because Jeroboam had set up two golden calves so people didn't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. He set up golden calves and told everyone, the, this is the God who delivered you from Egypt. 
So revisionist history is purposely changing it. He changes the holidays. He changes the holy priest. He changes so many things just to try to get people to not follow God's rule. So God sends a prophet, a man of God, and I think 13 times in 1 Kings 13, the man of God is identified as the man of God. Now, God's putting emphasis, man of God, man of God, man of God. So this is someone who's supposed to obey. And he goes up to Jeroboam and says, listen, God doesn't want you to do this. Change your ways. And Jeroboam puts out his hand to say, arrest him. And his hand withers up in front of everyone, in front of the stage. And now it's stuck. And he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, um, Whatever God tells me to do, I've learned my lesson. I'm sorry. And so the man of God, by his word, his hand was healed. Now Jeroboam, at the moment, is planning on changing his ways and serving God. And so he tells the man of God, why don't you come to my house and eat with me? Why don't you go with me? And the man of God said this, God told me to come up here. Then he told me not to stop, not to eat, and go back a different way. I'm sorry, I cannot. And so he takes off. Now, at this time, Jeroboam has every intention of obeying God. So the man of God starts going back and he's heading back south. He's from the southern kingdom of Judah. He's in the northern kingdom to yell at the king. And he's coming back, goes back a different way. And on the way back, a old prophet, a retired prophet, catches him and says, Oh man, I heard what you did with Jeroboam. That was amazing. I want you to come to my house and I want to spend some time with you. This is good. And the man of God says, No, God told me to deliver the message. Told me not to stop, not to eat, but come down a different way. And the old prophet said, Well, listen, an angel just told me that it'd be all right for you to come to my house. And the man of God said, Okay. And went over to his house. And in the middle of dinner, all of a sudden, God gets a hold of the old prophet, the retired prophet. And the old prophet stands up and says, listen, I just got a word from the Lord that because you disobeyed God, God's going to kill you. And he's going to kill you in a special way that everyone knew that you disobeyed. Now, to me, that's always, but you're the one who told him to disobey. And now the man of God walks by, okay, grabs his donkey and starts riding by. And a lion comes claws the man of God. And when people come by, the lion's sitting there, the donkey's sitting there, and the body of the man of God's there, not eaten up, just killed. Now, normally, would you see a donkey sitting right next to a lion? So this is done in a way that people go, wow, God did this. And Jeroboam, when he heard about this, ah, God killed the man of God, guess what? He turned back to his wicked ways. Everything that was just told and his decisions just were erased. Why? Because the man of God disobeyed. Now, why would he disobey? Now, may I say that if God told you to do something, does an angel outrank God? No. It doesn't matter what an angel said. This is what God told me to do. And I have to obey what God said. You can't override orders by an angel. But he knew that. Why did he disobey? Why? Because he wanted to. Because he wanted to. Why do we disobey God's word? Because we want to. That's what Bible says here in 2 Peter 3, 3. Walking after their own lust. Why is the only reason why people disobey the Bible? It's not because of a historical reason. It's not because of a scientific reason. It's not because of an archaeological reason. It's not because of a theological reason. It's because they don't want to. Why do we disobey God from time to time? Because we want to.
Why do we not do the things that we ought to? Because we don't want to. You know, that's just the simple truth. It's a frightening truth because we like to try to blame everyone else. Devil made me do this. The governor made me do this. The conditions made me do this. No, it's because you want it to. And if you could recognize that immediately, that helps you to tackle that because you can't cast the blame. If you realize that it's because you don't want to obey, that simplifies quite a bit and helps you to deal with it. Because there are times I don't want to go to church. There are times I don't want to read my Bible. Times I don't want to pray. But you're the pastor, eh? I'm flesh just like you. Times I don't want to obey what I know I'm supposed to. I don't want to go make a visit. I don't want to go soul winning. And so we have to recognize this is my want. Now I have to recognize what authority do I put under. Authority doesn't care what your wants are. Authority said it. I have to obey my authority. It's called the idea of submission. Putting myself under God's authority. Making myself subject. Now this is a big deal. Because when we look at our disobedience. Why did you disobey? Because I wanted to. Why don't you read your Bible? I don't want to. Why didn't you pray? Didn't want to. Why did you skip church? Because I wanted to. It simplifies quite a bit. To a frightening degree where we don't like it to be that simple. We want some complicated reason to explain away our behavior. The simple thing is, is that we don't want to. But we have to come to the idea, who is the authority? Who rules our life? Who's the one who tells us what to do? And of course, that answer is God. Do we submit to His authority? Do we submit to His rules? He knows what's best. He has our best interest at heart. When we disobey, we do it to our own destruction. But the simple fact is, the only reason why we don't obey is because we don't want to. God makes it simple. But it is an idea of authority. By what authority do I speak? As Jesus is saying, is it of God or is it of men? He brought that to John the Baptist. It was implied to himself. The Pharisees said, we don't want his authority. We have other plans. If we get rid of his authority, then we will rule. But it all comes down, who is your authority? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.